0: It's good to see you and to see your smiling faces. Um, I am Father Morgan Reed. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. um, And I want to pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, through our time in your word this morning, through our worship together corporately, through the receiving of your grace in the sacraments, We pray again with this call that you would give us the increase of faith and hope and love, and that we may obtain what you've promised. Would you make us love what you command? Amen. Well, this morning, we've been in a series in Colossians, and this morning we actually finished that series. This will be in Colossians chapter 4 this morning, and you'll notice that actually none of those... Readings this morning were from the book of Colossians, and that's because in our lectionary, which is kind of our reading plan for the year, the lectionary has already moved on, But I, and I love the passages this morning, so I could not bring myself to get rid of any of them. So, I'm, uh, I wanted to still read Colossians chapter 4. Um, which is where we'll be this morning, but they weren't part of the readings. So this is uh, verses 2 through 6 from the NRSV. You've got a few Bibles in front of you. They're ESV, but you can read on in those. It says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us as well, that God will open to us a door for the word, that we may declare the mystery of Christ, for which I am in prison, so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Conduct yourselves wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But when you look back through the church's history, you can see all kinds of ways that the good news of Jesus was spread to people through the history of the church um, but no matter what century you're looking at what time period it has always gone through the lives and the speech of people um, it is not done without the connectedness to somebody's life but the way that that information might travel to other people could change over time and the modes of ministry might change as well depending on cultural context and time period I was thinking back to my own lifetime and thinking about church growing up. And I remember there was a time when there was actually no screen or TV in the sanctuary. People would print out the bulletin every week. And, uh, and then there was an addition of a screen that someone would pull up and and they would, uh, you remember those old plastic slides that people would have to either handwrite or have professionally printed and they could put them on top of the projector and they would project and someone would have to be manually there switching the slides. Um, and then there was the advent of PowerPoint. Uh, I remember that was a big deal in like third grade. They made us take one, one or two class periods to make sure that we knew how to do PowerPoint because this was the future. And, uh, you know, prior to, prior to all that, remember the service was printed. And even before that, uh, the liturgy just functioned as the similar thing every week so that people could have it memorized. But once there was the advent of PowerPoint, I remember that it was like really cool, really savvy of a pastor to be able to show a video in church. I mean, how edgy was that? Imagine watching a video in the church And, and, you know, now it's so common to see that in a lot of churches that it really just feels kind of laughable to think that that actually wasn't possible even, I don't know, 30 years ago or 20 years ago. And um, then as now we have social media, we have the Internet, um, probably I'm probably the last generation that lived without Internet. so I remember these days. Uh, I'm now I'm dated. I'm that guy now. I thought I'd you know never get to that age, but here we are. So uh, and now that we have social media, we have live stream. We've got uh, which is common for most churches. And when you think about live stream, even four or five years ago, I mean that would have been like really fancy for a church to be doing live stream. Um, they, for a lot of places that was out of reach to do it well. Uh, because of lots of different technical factors along with the fact that there just wasn't enough help to do that in most churches. And now it's just commonplace for a lot of churches. When we think of technological advancements and the ways that things move, you know, for good or for worse, uh, there are upsides and downsides to all these things. Being the most cutting edge and innovative as a church with communication may not always help us because... Those things we can use to draw a crowd, but drawing a crowd is not the same thing as discipleship. And so it's good to remember that there is a difference between gathering a crowd and making disciples. Discipleship is a process. It has this outward kind of disposition. It has a really invitational orientation towards others. Uh, And St. Paul lays out a model of discipleship. Here in Colossians chapter 4. And insofar as those tools that I just talked about are useful for building disciples of Jesus, I am all for spending time and effort and people resources and money on doing those things. I mean, we began virtually as a church because we started in March 2020. So I could only meet you on Zoom once a month for a small group. Which was, you know, what we had. Uh, Looking back, I would never do that again uh, that way. But we had no other option. And so it it worked. I was so glad that we had those tools. And I spent money on a ring light to make lighting nice, a microphone so you could hear me. Those are all fine. Um, The tools that we use in in gathering or sending out the message of the gospel are really secondary to what we're actually doing. Uh, The primary thing that we're doing is gathering and developing people into a common life of worship together and growing in the love of Christ. That's what we're doing. Everything else is secondary. And so there's a lot of comfort, I find, in St. Paul's words today, uh, because through all those different modes of ministry, through all the different ways of marketing and all the the things that are going to change, what doesn't change is that the expansion of the gospel The good news about Jesus is primarily an embodied experience. It's something that happens in you and in me as we continue in prayer, as we walk in wisdom, as we speak with grace. And then it has an outward orientation, of invitation, inviting other people into that life. Because the spread of the gospel is an embodied experience, I also find comfort that it is bound up with the messiness of who we are. Uh, And if you can believe it, that's actually God's intention, that the gospel would be bound up with the messiness of who we are. We are messy ministers of the gospel. Um, And that has me wondering something this morning. You can think with me on this. Have you had the experience of just feeling spiritually dry, Like, like things are just not lively right now or like you're in a rut that you just can't get out of like you know something's wrong but you can't quite put your finger on it what are the indicators that you're there just think about that for a second what are the indicators that you're there i know for me when i'm there i get really anxious um, about things that i really can't control and one of the ways that I know that I'm anxious about things I can't control is I do this deep breathing thing. You may not notice it, but there, there's times when I'm, you know, super anxious and it doesn't come out in a lot of ways, but it comes out in this, I go. Frequently. And, and I don't know why, but now I can pay attention to that. I know that that's an indicator that something is not healthy. Uh, that that kind of deep breathing is happening maybe even every hour uh, for no good reason. In those times, there is this, I also, and maybe you're like this too, there's a tendency to get frustrated with other people, and you don't know why. Like, there's an irritability there. It's kind of at the seed of who you are, and you don't know why. And there, maybe there's an underlying discontentment about the way things are, and you just can't explain it. You want to get rid of it. You know it's there, and you can't. And sometimes it'll last for maybe a day or two, maybe you have a down day, maybe a down week. Sometimes it can last for months at a time, this rut, this spiritual dryness. And I'm well aware that as we enter into the summer months, you know, this is a, can be a challenging season because all of our routines are thrown out the window for three months. And um, you're looking ahead to the next School year, hoping, you know, maybe this three months I'll get some rest before the school year starts. And so maybe some of you went on vacation and that vacation was not nearly as relaxing as you had hoped it would be. Uh, it was overscheduled and exhausting. And then as you look forward to the school year, you're just kind of thinking to yourself, you know, when is that rest going to get here? When am I going to have space to just kind of breathe and be? But we live in, in a lot of unsustainable rhythms and, and now we're out of our rhythms And um, maybe your kids are transferring into a new grade or a new school. Uh, They're entering into a new life stage. And and you are nervous um, because you do not know how to parent uh, when they are in that new life stage. And you are trying to figure it out. And it is anxiety inducing. But there are so many things out there that are going to distract us from spiritual progress. That um, tempt us to be pushed off course. And those things often are the things that cause those spiritual ruts, this spiritual dryness. Um, and when we're in those places where everything is just pushing against us and we're not dealing with it well, then it's really hard in those emotional, spiritual spaces to see the gospel, to experience the gospel as good for ourselves. And then it makes it really hard to share that gospel and that goodness of that gospel with other people and To have speech that is gracious, speech that is seasoned with salt. It's really hard in those seasons to have that kind of speech. So what do we do with that experience of spiritual dryness? How do we bring health to ourselves so that we have a genuinely compelling experience of the gospel and a story of the gospel for the good and the sake of others? How do we deal with that? I think St. Paul's answer to that starts uh, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And the reason I love the, way that, I love the way the NRSV phrases it here, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. There are so many things that we are devoted to. I was just thinking of a list for myself. I'm devoted to being a good husband and dad. Uh, whether or not I always reach that, I'm devoted to it. And so... What that means is that I'm devoting myself to the time, the efforts, even monetary things that it takes to improve those relationships in my life. I cut other things out for the good of those roles. Um, we might be a devoted employee in our place of employment, which means that we devote ourselves, our time, our energy, um, and, and, monetary, and monetary means, too, for whatever it takes to improve our craft as an employee to benefit the good of the company that we're in. And when we say we devote ourselves to something, then there's this intense focus on working at something really hard, uh, improving at it, learning it. Sometimes even cutting out other good things in our life that we have to cut out to make time to improve at that thing. So then when we come back to St. Paul's words here, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Get better at it. And. Sacrifice other good things in life to grow deeper in it. Spend time, effort, resources on devoting yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. And when we do devote ourselves to prayer, there are two things that should characterize a healthy prayer life in this passage. He says, he talks about watchfulness and thankfulness. Watchfulness and thankfulness. Imagine that kind of prayer where we devote ourselves To praying eagerly. And then, when we pray eagerly, we are watching expectantly for God to actually answer the thing that we've been praying for. And then we actually make space to then give God thanks and gratitude for the things that we have attentively waited for Him to answer. Um, It kind of reminds me of pouring a bucket of water on really, really dry ground. Uh, This kind of devoting ourselves to prayer if, if, if we have a spiritual dryness. When we devote ourselves to prayer, think of a bucket of water going on really dry ground. At first, that water just sits there. It feels kind of unproductive. But as it sits there, what it does is it breaks up that really hard, dry ground on the surface. And it starts to work its way through into the dirt, sinking down lower and lower, being absorbed into the dirt, making that soil useful um, and if there's any kinds of seeds in there, then these seeds can germinate and grow into something beautiful. And prayer is what does that. That kind of prayer is the foundation for the health of our souls. And it's the beginning of sharing the good news of Jesus with other people. It's related to devoting ourselves to prayer. Having charged them with devoting themselves to prayer in verse 2, then what he says um, in verses 3 and 4, he actually asks them for prayer. Um, specifically, he asked that God would open a door for the word to declare clearly the revelation of the mystery of Christ. And I would imagine that, revealing that mis- the revealing of that mystery of Christ involves two things. It, re- it involves an exposition of who Jesus is and why that matters. Um, so we can know a lot of things about Jesus, but one of those key questions is... Why does it matter? And those two things are involved in the revelation of the mystery of Christ. Because the gospel is both right and it's good. If something is truly right, then it is also truly good. And the implanting of the word and the conversion of the heart, then, of the work of God, for which you and I need his help, as we partner with him mysteriously in this process of the gospel going forward, it's not done entirely without us. It's not like God kind of bypasses the messy people, to, to spread the gospel without them. And on the other hand, it's not completely dependent on us, as though we could share things without having a life of prayer and be very effective. The work of prayer somehow, mysteriously in the plan of God, is part of the effectiveness of the word of God, implanting itself in the hearts of people and having a profound effect. And so it's, it's good to, to work at being able to make clear um, the mystery of, of Jesus—that who He is and, and what He has done for our salvation—is both right and it's good. And also, as we make that clear, our work has to be accompanied by a deep devotion to prayer. And I think we're all in need of prayer. I, you know, looking around, some people have asked me for prayer. I, I know I'm in need of prayer, uh, as I, you know, I can't imagine somebody go. I don't don't need your prayers. I'm good. We all need prayer. Uh, Even St. Paul asks for prayer. And I remember a long time ago, I had had a conversation. This was many years before I was an Anglican. And and I had been talking to a Catholic priest who I had met randomly at a coffee shop. And, you know, God forgive me. But at that point, uh, part of the... The, the Christian tribe I belonged to saw this priest is not really a christian and and so I was really curious to have a conversation with this person and obviously that's changed uh, for me and um, I was surprised to hear him speak over coffee so beautifully about the goodness of the gospel. It was surprising to me um, and then, as we wrapped up our conversation, he really surprised me he said. You know, as as you go forward in your next thing, can you just remember to pray for me? It's like, now, who am I, right? At this point, I'm just this undergrad, 20-something college student who's studying to be a youth pastor. Like, who is this, who am I to be praying for this, you know, man of prayer? Um, But his disposition was that he authentically believed that he needed God's help so much that he would ask people in the church uh, broadly to pray for him and his ministry. And I was really struck by that. He was not above uh, asking for prayer. And I remember that moment taking down so many of my incorrect presuppositions about clericalism in the Catholic church. Um, We all are in need of God's help. Right. And so because we're all in, in need of God's help, um, we should also have a disposition that is self-aware enough to think, to ask somebody to pray for us. And doing that authentically, what it does, when you ask somebody to pray for, us, for you and when I ask someone to pray for me, it helps us reframe our lives as ministers of the gospel um, who are in need of God's help, which we all are. St. Paul, then, he moves from prayer in this passage and, he, and how, to, to, how to speak about the gospel. Every moment that we have is an opportunity to live and to speak the love of Christ. And what he says is that involves walking in wisdom. It involves great wisdom um, to speak well of Christ. Especially among those who don't yet believe about Jesus. There's incredible wisdom there. And the wisdom we need comes from being spiritually healthy. And having a well-ordered interior life. That's where wisdom comes from. Seeking God. There's this deep connection with the ways that we share Jesus with other people. And our own spiritual and emotional health. There's a connection between those two things. And like I mentioned earlier, the good news of Jesus comes through our messiness. It doesn't come, uh, it doesn't overshoot who we are. It comes through us as messy people. Not despite who we are. So we don't just have um, a fact sheet memorized about the historic veracity of the Bible. Like that's really boring. Uh, so don't do that. And, and that's what St. Paul is saying is the gospel is not boring. It is lively. And, and I want to think for a moment about salty speech. Um, salt does a lot of things. I love salt on my food. Uh, and, and one of the things that salt does for food is it makes it way more interesting. And that's physiologically true. It actually awakens parts of our brains, some joy centers. I don't know these things. I'm a priest, but I hear them and uh, from other people who know these things. And, and salt, what I do know is that it makes things way more interesting and enjoyable to eat. And so imagine that aspect of salt in our speech. We want to be salty people. Who, who are seasoning things uh, with joy and life, and, and that comes through our speech. We don't want to talk about Jesus to be lifeless and boring and insipid, so that people just kind of go, yeah, but like, what's compelling about that to me? Um, so when we think about, I want us to think about something for a second. Think in your, you can close your eyes for this, but like what makes a good minister of the gospel? And even when I say the phrase minister of the gospel, I want to invite you to to shout out answers to me too. When I say minister of the gospel, what images come to your mind? What was that? Humble. Humble, yeah. Attentive. Attentive. See, you guys are very mature. I appreciate those. I was thinking, you know, if I were to ask the average person when they say, what do you picture when you see a minister, minister of the gospel? I would imagine some people would say, yeah, either they see an image of a male or a female person. They see a collar. Maybe Uh, they see certain robes, perhaps someone carrying a, a Bible or particular books, they Do they see somebody who's attractive or not attractive? Do they see somebody who's well off or do they see somebody who's poor? And so how many of us have created images for what an effective and a good minister of the gospel looks like? And for how many of us is that image unattainable? Um, Have we created the, the image of somebody who is so completely perfect um, that we can't attain them, but they, but that they are completely perfect before the gospel actually becomes good news for somebody else. Uh, so let's take that idol and just pick it up and dash it against the rock of Christ. right? Because you and I are all ministers of the gospel. We're ministers in our messiness. We are messy ministers. And what makes for a good minister then is somebody who is just deeply acquainted with the grace of God um, and their need for his help. And so we may not have all the answers to people's questions, but we should always stay curious and not pretend that we actually do have all the answers, but just stay curious. Self-awareness and a life of prayer, those are the things that give us the grace that we need with ourselves in order to share the gospel of God's grace with other people. And sharing that goodness then, as he's saying here, it shouldn't be stale. It shouldn't be formulaic. It's living. It's a moldable message. It's vibrant that it speaks incarnationally into where each individual person is at in their own unique experiences. So the rightness of the message preached is intertwined with the goodness of the ways that that message is at work in our hearts. And we're called then to be a life giving people, a salty, seasoning people. Walking with wisdom, those who are grounded in prayer, we proclaim a gospel that's both right um, and it's also very good. And what it does is it invites people into the grace of God. Our gospel is invitational. So do you feel spiritually dry this morning or like you're in a rut? And if you do, then what you can do is just tell God that you are there. Just begin with saying, God, you know what, I just don't feel it right now. I I don't feel like I am worthy to be doing the things you're asking me to do. I'm not feeling like you're even here. Like, start with honesty, with God. He's big enough to handle it. And and do that with a disposition of watchfulness. In other words, expecting that when you're honest with him about that, he's actually going to do something. And then as you have that watchful disposition... Then make space to recount the good blessings that God's given you. Make a a habit of gratitude and thankfulness. Snatch up every moment, as this passage says, um, as an opportunity to grow in the grace of God. Because the gospel is good for us. And as the gospel is actually good for us, and we feel the experience of that, then that lays the foundation to share its goodness with other people. Let me pray for us this morning. O oh, almighty God, you pour out on all who desire it, the spirit of grace and of supplication. Deliver us when we draw near to you from coldness of heart and wanderings of mind, that with steadfast thoughts and kindled affections, we may worship you in spirit and in truth through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.